0: Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure you're subscribed using your favorite podcast software, whether it's Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or the Amazon Music App at amazon.com slash OTR Detectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis using the Zelle app to box 13 at greatdetectives.net. If you have us on YouTube, you can press the dollar sign button and give us a super thanks. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of Dangerous Assignments. The original air date, August 16th, 1950, and the title is Fine Killer Lupac.
1: It's National Wheaties Week. it's National Wheaties Week, and Wheaties present Dangerous Assignment. On stage tonight from Hollywood, Dangerous Assignment, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell.
2: Danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing though, trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize it's gonna involve my trying to hold Western Europe together with two mirrors, a book of matches, and a rusty razor blade. Commissioner. Ruth said you wanted to see me. I do, Steve.
3: You're flying to Paris, mm. but don't get any ideas.
2: Well, I can dream, can't I? I'm afraid this
3: dream's going to turn into a nightmare. Oh, swell. What's the deal? Tell me, what do you know about Aristide Raynal,
2: Steve? Raynal? Oh, sure. The Swiss Sherlock Holmes. A sleuth of the old school, complete with a derby hat, umbrella, and false faces. But a very right guy, even if he is left-handed. <laughs> And also one of the sharpest little detectives in the world. That's right. But
3: I see you don't know the latest about him.
2: What's that? Last night in Paris, Aristide Renal was murdered. What?
3: I'm sorry to hear that. I, I really liked the little guy. Who did it? We think it was our old friend Lupak, Steve. Lupak is... He's still on the loose? More than ever. Now, Steve, I don't have to tell you about Lupak. He's a hired killer and the cleverest man we've ever had in our hair. I'll tell you how clever he is. He's been operating five years that we know of. We're fairly sure he's implicated in at least a half dozen
2: assassinations, and yet no one even has a description of him. Yeah, I know that. Look, Commissioner, Aristide Reynal was a sort of a friend of mine, but I don't think you'd be sending me over to Paris to find Lupak for that reason.
3: No, there's a lot more to it than friendship, Steve. You see, representatives of several European nations have been trying to hold top-secret conversations in Paris for the last week. What do you mean they've been trying? Every time they schedule a meeting, one of the representatives meets with a fatal accident, and I don't mean accident. I see. We think Lupak is responsible for those murders, that he's been hired to hamstring those negotiations. Now, Steve, they're going to try to meet again next Monday. Lupak's got to be caught before then. Get over to Paris, work with Inspector Muir out of the Surete, and find Lupak. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck.
1: dangerous assignment
4: will continue in a moment. Now, here is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin. Say, friends, are you celebrating proper? It's National Wheaties Week, you know. National meaning everybody coast to coast. Wheaties meaning the whole wheat flakes with a wholehearted energy. And week meaning seven big days for you and me to buy them, try 'em, try and tell the neighbors. I'm eating them. My family's eating them. How about you and yours? Get Wheaties yourself and get with America. Come on, it's National Wheaties Week.
2: That's what I like about my job. The commissioner's always so nice to me. He gives me a whole weekend in Paris, and all I have to do is find a killer nobody's ever lived to describe. I should be so lucky. Well, it's Friday when I get to Paris. I go to the headquarters of the French Surete, and Inspector Murat is waiting for me.
5: Mitchell, all of us here at the Surete feel we have lost an honored colleague in Monsieur
2: Aristide Renal. Uh, what facts can you give me about Renal's murder, Inspector?
5: Unfortunately, very few. We know only that Renal's body was
2: discovered yesterday morning in the apartment of a man named Belog. Belog, Who's he?
5: We have no idea, Mitchell. This Belog has dropped completely out of sight.
2: Mm. Do you have any
5: description of him? We have managed to piece together a slight description by questioning the other Tevins. Belog is a small man, dark, with a mustache and a van dyke beard. He customarily wears horn rimmed glasses and a beret.
2: Great, that description could fit a thousand guys in Paris. True. You know, there's a little idea pecking at my brain, Murat.
5: I should not be surprised if it were the same idea that the to me, Mitchell. Namely, that this mysterious Monsieur Belog might be the hired killer we seek, Lupin.
2: Yeah. You got a key to this Balog's apartment, Commissioner?
5: Yes, we have left
2: everything untouched for the time being. Good. Come on. I'd like to take a look at it. As you can see, it is quite a simple apartment. Yeah, pretty bare. You spot any items of interest here? A
5: rusty razor blade in the bathroom. Oh,
2: well, let's take a look. Yeah. And some whiskers in the washbowl. It is possible that Baylock, after the killing, decided to shave off his mustache and beard. So now we're looking for a little man with horn-rimmed glasses, with or without mustache and beard. You know, <laughs> we're getting less to go on by the minute. Funny. Indeed. I do not see any humor in it. No, no, no. I mean... This guy, Baylog must have been a pretty vain gent. How do you mean? He's got two mirrors in here. We, oui, I noticed that. One of them here over the wash bowl on the left side of the room in the corner, and another one in the middle of the wall. And perhaps he needed more light. There's as much light here as there is there. And you are right. It is strange. Well, anything else, Inspector? Uh, there on the
5: table in front of you.
6: Hmm?
2: This matchbook.
5: Yes, note that there are but two matches remaining on the right side.
2: All right now, I'm more interested in noting the name on the cover. Hugo's. What's that?
5: A small restaurant on the Boulevard de Clichy.
2: Hmm. Well, when you don't know where to start, I guess one place is as good as any other, Inspector. Besides, I'm hungry anyway. I'll see you later. <laughs> So, I head for Hugo's, and of course, every other guy I see on the way there answers Baylog's general description, which gives me a good idea what a sweet job is going to be, finding him. Inside the restaurant, a mournful-looking little gent is circulating from table to table, sawing away at a fiddle for the benefit of a few moonstruck couples. Then, a tall, skinny gent spots me standing in the doorway and comes up to me.
7: Welcome,
2: welcome to Hugo's, Monsieur. Are you the official greeter? (laughs) I am Hugo. Oh, good. I'd like to talk to you. Where can we sit? Why, uh, at this table, right here.
7: But if you are selling anything, I am not in the market. Business, it stinks.
2: Don't worry, I'm not selling anything.
7: Oh, my friend, I now have much warmer feelings toward you. In that case, I would like
2: to sell you something. A dinner fit for royalty. Uh, Later, but right now I'd like a little information. Did you ever hear the name Balog before? Balog? Bailog? Bailog? What are you doing, memorizing it? Oh, but of course, Bailog. A steady customer, noble soul. At least he was. Was what? A noble soul or a steady customer? In
7: Hugo's mind, there is no difference, my friend. But to be brief, I have not seen Monsieur Bailog in here
2: for the last few days. I don't wonder. But before that, he used to come in regularly, huh? Uh, now you're
7: making me slightly uncomfortable, monsieur. Mitchell,
2: why? Uh, <laughs> Mitchell, uh,
7: very simple. When inquiries are made about my steady customers, sometimes makes them very nervous. Uh, then they become unsteady customers. And then Hugo's nerves become unsteady because it means he's losing money. I get it. You think five bucks American would steady your nerves, Hugo? <laughs> would be interesting experiment. Uh, place the bill in my hands. <laughs> there you are. Uh-huh. The experiment worked? (laughs) See, my fingers, they are not quivering one bit. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Now, about filling me in on this guy, Balog. Of course, of course. He came in here regularly, uh, usually in company of another man. Uh, What did this other man look like? Oh, he was small, about Balog's size. uh, Very inconspicuous looking man. Let me see. I believe he usually wore
2: a derby hat and carried umbrella with him. Derby hat? Umbrella? Hey, wait a minute. Look, here, uh, take a look at this picture. This uh, isn't the guy by any chance, is it? T- 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 but of course, the very man. And you say that he and Baylag were in here together all the time? Yes, 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 yes. You know the man in this picture? I knew him. His name was Aristide Renal. Well, the two of them seem quite friendly. Hmm. I don't get it, unless. I don't get what, my friend? I'll skip it. Well, thanks for the information, Hugo. Oh,
7: but there is more. Huh? Indeed. Let us say that you have paid only for the main course of the dinner. Uh, there remains dessert.
2: You know, I don't see why you bother serving food in this place. You seem to do pretty well without it. <laughs> One must live, my friend. Okay, steady fingers. Here's another five spot. Now, how about the dessert? Ah, uh, You see, over at corner table alone. The girl? Who else? Well, you said dessert and you weren't kidding. French pastry yet. Who is she?
7: Celeste. A, um, shall we say, friend of Hmm.
2: That gives me three good reasons for talking to her.
7: Three? What are the other two? Her
2: eyes, of course. Well, I'll see you later, Hugo. Hi. Hello. Mind if I join you?
1: Why not?
2: Good question.
1: I am drinking Pernod, in case you want to buy me another
2: drink. Sounds like an open and shut in case... Waiter, Pernod and uh, Scotch. Oui, monsieur. You're a friend of Baylog's, aren't you? Why? You've seen him lately? Why? Your needle is stuck. <laughs> ah, I owe him some money.
7: Give it to me. I will give it to him. No, thanks.
2: Not that I don't trust you. I just don't trust you. <laughs> I'd rather give it to him myself, Celeste.
1: Suit yourself. I have not seen him lately. I see.
2: Did you ever hear him use any other name beside Lebuck? Other name? Lupak, for instance.
1: For instance, no. But why do we talk about Belong? He bores me. I know something much more interesting to talk about. What's that? Celeste and... uh... Steve. Celeste and Steve. Sounds nice.
2: Yeah. Might be an interesting topic of conversation at that. Uh, Where do you think it would lead us?
1: Maybe to 36th Rue, Satan. What's there? My place.
2: Oh, well... Here are your drinks, monsieur. Scotch and Pernod. You're a little late, Buster. We're leaving. There you are. Messy, monsieur. But the drinks, what shall I do with them? Well, you might... No, no, just drink them. Come on, Celeste. We drive up and stop at her place and start in. Then I catch a glimpse of a figure standing in the shadows of the alley across the street. Could be Belog, alias Lupak... Celeste promises to wait, goes inside, and I walk down to the end of the block. Then I cross over and circle around that block. I came up the alley behind the guy. But when I get into the alley, there's enough light to tell me that no one else is in there. I come out across the street from Celeste's apartment, and still no one in sight. I start to turn for another look back down the alley, but just then an arm swings down out of the doorway beside me, and something awfully hard connects over my right ear. Knocks me to the ground. I fight to get up on my hands and knees, but just as I do, I get it again. I grab for the legs in front of my blurry eyes, but this guy must be enjoying it. The third time is the charm. Out I go.
1: Steve Mitchell will continue his
4: dangerous assignment in just a moment. It's National Wheaties Week. Hello, this is Frank Martin, the family man. Yes, sir, a family man with a wife and a son and a home like yours. Pretty much like the man around your house, I'll bet. I wake up hungry, and I do mean hungry. But my wife, bless her heart, has a cure for that. She has Wheaties ready with bananas sliced and the cream right handy. You know, that sure is a wonderful way to treat a man. So why don't you try it on yours during National Wheaties Week? If he's anything like me, he'll go for those Wheaties. Yes, and they can help keep him going, too. There's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. Not bad, huh? A whole kernel. So I'm asking you to try Wheaties once during National Wheaties Week, won't you? them. And now
1: back to Dangerous Assignment and Steve Mitchell.
2: Mitchell.
5: Mitchell. Oh. Mitchell. What? Oh.
2: Inspector Murat.
5: Oh, you are not so bad off after all. I don't
2: take any bets on that. Oh, I'm
5: glad.
2: Brother, my head. What happened, anyway? Oh,
5: well, one of my patrolmen heard a commotion. He saw a man dragging you into this alley. The man fled. When the patrolman saw your identification papers, he called me. And here I am.
2: Looks like I was about to get taken for the well-known ride. Who hit you? I wish I knew. Could have been Baylog. Hey, <clears throat> that reminds me. Come on, Inspector. We should have a talk with Celeste. Hmm. No answer. She may have gone. On the other hand, she
5: may be hiding in there.
2: You got a pass key? We. Oui. Let's find out. Very well. Here it is. Now watch it. Baylog may be inside, too. That possibility has also occurred to me. I'll get the lights. Huh, empty. You know, there's something that bothers me about this whole setup. What is it? That's the trouble. I can't put my finger on it. It's like listening to a pretty little tune and hearing a discord every now and then, like, for instance. Hugo told me that Baylog and Aristide Renal were regular customers at his restaurant and that they seemed very friendly.
5: Monsieur Renal was what we might call a detective of the old school. I am sure the idea of assuming another identity and befriending Baylog would have appealed to him.
2: Yeah, like I say, that could be it. And if that was the only discord, I wouldn't pay any attention to it. There are others. Just little ones like, why the two mirrors in Baylog's bathroom? You think there is
5: a significance there?
2: Right now, I'm having trouble thinking at all with this lump on my head. I'm going back to Hugo's and see if he can give me any more leads on Celeste. I'll check with you later at headquarters.
6: Ah, good
2: evening, Monsieur Nietzsche. <laughs> Hello, Hugo. Hey, uh, looks like you're doing quite a business. No,
7: these are not customers. They are woody waiters. Uh,
6: mm.
7: Waiters, waiters. Today I need a waiter. I put in paper advertisements, and they pour in a flood. Oh, but I do not think that you come back here to talk about wages. Did you find your friend, Daylock?
2: No, no, I can't even find Celeste. Ah. Hey, uh, there's ten bucks in it for you if you let me know the next time she drops in here. Ten bucks? Ten bucks. Is it a deal?
7: <laughs> My friend, for that, I will not only let you know. I will have her here waiting for you in chain. <laughs>
5: Richard, were you able to find out anything more at Hugo's?
2: Only that he's having employment troubles.
5: Uh, tell me, are you still hearing little discords in this tune we are listening to?
2: Yes, I am. I'm beginning to think that the discords could add up to a whole new tune. But <laughs> uh, anyway. Hmm.
5: Hello? Yes, Oui? What? Oui, bonjour. Hello, Keiko. Very well. The trail is warming up, Mitchell. How so? At your suggestion, I have had one of my men watching Celeste's apartment. He reports that a man answering Bellow's general description just went inside.
2: Okay. Well, that sort of knocks my new tune into a cocked hat. Come on, let's go. Better stop here,
6: Inspector.
2: Celeste's apartment is just ahead. Wait, There's a small open car parked up there in front of the apartment house. Yes, that is the car
5: the suspect arrived in according to the report my man gave me.
2: Look, here he comes out the door. He's getting into the car.
5: Mitchell, we must not let him escape.
2: Hold it. Doesn't look like he's going anywhere. He's just sitting in the car. Huh. He's a little guy, all right. And Hugo said Baylog was a little guy. He's not wearing glasses, however, and he is clean shaven. Don't forget those whiskers in Baylog's wash basin. He could have shaved his beard off. What are you going to do? Have a little talk with him. I'll be back in a minute. Be
5: very careful, Mitchell.
2: I beg your pardon. Oh, what is it? Have you got a match? Why, of course. Here. Thanks. Say, I wonder if you could help me. Help you? Yeah. I'm a tourist here and I need a little information. Oh, yeah. I'm rather in a hurry. Well, this won't take a minute. Here. This is a timetable for the Underground Railway, but... I can't seem to figure out where the nearest station is. Oh, very well. Excuse me. I must put on my glasses. So, now let me see it.
7: Oui, your nearest station is just off the boulevard de Montparnasse.
2: Uh, how do I get there? Uh, let me see. You go down this street, two blocks, then over one, and then you turn... No, not so fast. Now. Look, here's a piece of paper. Would you write it down for me? Oh, certainly. Sorry to put you to the trouble... Nice. Oh, it's quite all right. Here you are. Thank you very much. Well? I don't know. Could be Balog, all right. He had to put on glasses to read the timetable.
5: In that case, perhaps we meet a look.
2: Yeah. Celeste just jumped into his car. Come on, Murat, right. get this baby started. We... we don't want to lose him now. Ah! So, for the next 30 minutes, we chase them down a dozen assorted side streets and alleys, but we can't seem to gain on them. Finally, we spot the car pulled up in front of a four story warehouse. Neither the little guy nor Celeste is in the car. We pull up behind it. They must be somewhere in that building, Mitchell. Yeah, but where? This is a lot of building, looks like. One of us had better go to the rear entrance, the other take the front. Okay, you, Murat. Murat, get back!
6: <laughs> Mon Dieu. Brother.
2: Well, this is the guy we were chasing, all right, or what's left of him.
5: Hmm, no identification on him, but that does not surprise me. Well, Mitchell, the case is closed. Our little friend, Balog, realized he was cornered. He preferred to administer justice to himself. Did he? I know what you are thinking, that perhaps he was pushed off the building. Well, perhaps he was. It is no matter. Either way, it would appear our case is closed.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's just the way it would appear,
5: Monsieur Mitchell, international cooperation is a wonderful thing And it has been a privilege to work with you in this affair But I must say, I am becoming increasingly annoyed at your present attitude Sorry It is true we have identified the body as that of Harold Pravda, an unemployed waiter. But to me, this means nothing. If Baylog was Lupak, as we believe him to be, he was quite capable of assuming a dozen different identities. I know all that, Inspector. But I tell you, the whole thing fits into place. Observe. First, we know that Aristide Renal was on the trail of the notorious Lupac. Second, Renal is murdered in the apartment of a mysterious little man named Baylog. Third, we know that Celeste is a friend of Baylog's.
2: Fourth... Fourth, we chase Celeste and the little guy to a warehouse. The little guy takes a dive or gets pushed off the roof. Exactamo. And
5: furthermore, this little guy, as you call him, answers Baylog's description, even to the horn-rimmed glasses, which he put on to write directions for you when you
2: approach. Hey, hold it right there. What? You just said something, Inspector. I remember now. That little guy wrote out the directions for me right-handed. Is this so unusual? It's unusual enough to take us back to Bayog's apartment right now. Bayog's apartment? Well, surely a Baylog is dead. Baylog is dead, all right. But if my hunch is good, there's something a lot more important than Bayog in his apartment. But what could it be? The answer to this whole deal. one of the things you showed me when we were here in Balog's apartment before was this matchbook on the table. But, of course, that led us to Hugo's restaurant. Yeah, and that's all I was paying attention to at the time. I should have paid more attention to the fact that the remaining matches were on the right-hand side of the book. That means the person who was using those matches was left-handed. Grant, he picked off the matches with his left hand. Aristide Reynal was left-handed. Of
5: course he was, Mitchell. We both know that. But what does that prove? We believe that Raynaud was posing as a friend of Balog's. They ate dinner together. Raynaud obviously visited this apartment. As a matter of fact, this is where his body was discovered,
2: if you will remember. Yeah, Raynaud was left-handed. He probably used those matches. Now, come on into the bathroom. Very well. Now, this is the part I couldn't figure out before, Murat, but it sure makes sense now, the two mirrors. But I still do not see... The regular mirror is over the washbowl right here in the left-hand corner of the room. True. Now, pretend you're Balog and you're going to shave. And also, pretend you're left-handed. Well, oh,
5: all right. I would simply take a razor
2: in my left hand and then... Mitchell! Yeah, that's right, Inspector. There's not enough room between the mirror and the wall on the left side for a left-handed man to shave. Yes. You'd probably cut your nose off. That is why Baylog
5: set up the other mirror farther along the wall.
2: Yeah, Inspector, doesn't it strike you as a pretty big coincidence that both Reynal and Baylog happened to be left-handed? What are you suggesting? I'm suggesting that Reynal and Baylog were one and the same man. What? But that is
6: impossible. Is it?
2: Look, we know Reynal liked to adopt various disguises. I think he grew a beard, rented this apartment under the name of Baylog, and went after Lupak. Then, when things got too warm, he shaved off his beard, but it was too late. Lupak killed him, and his body was correctly identified as Raynal.
5: But Hugo himself told us he had seen Raynal and Baylor dining together frequently in
2: his
7: restaurant. That's
2: the point, Inspector. That means that... That
7: means that Hugo was lying. Wait.
2: Well, Hugo, I figured you'd be pretty close on our trail at this point. I had to
7: be sure you were convinced that the little man who, shall we say, fell off the roof was Baylog. Unfortunately, you are not convinced at all.
5: Then Hugo is loop.
7: That's about the way it adds up. I have that honor indeed. Inspector, the hand away from the pocket, please. I admit there are more artistic ways of killing than with this gun of mine, but I am practical man. I always sued the weapon to the occasion.
2: You were pretty smart in this deal, weren't you, Hugo? Up to a point. When you found out that we believed there was a guy named Balog and that he killed, killed Reynal, you decided to keep the story alive. You even went so far as to hire a little waiter who might pass for Balog. You made a deal with him to take us on a chase through town. Then you shoved him off the building, hoping that would close the case and take the heat off of you. Stay where you are. So it did
7: not work. However, you are the only two who know it did not work. And
2: you can be easily disposed of. Uh, Mitchell, stay where you are. Don't worry, Hugo. I'm not getting any closer to you. I'm just walking sideways. Stop. You know, Hugo... For the first time in your life, you're going to have to make a choice. I said stop! Okay. What do you mean? Up to this point in your illustrious career, you've always been told who to kill. Now you've got to choose, me or Murat. I shall kill both of you. Oh, no. We're on opposite sides of the room now, and you're right in the middle. Whichever one you shoot, the other's going to jump you, and you won't have time to get us both. So, which one of us it is going to be? You go. (laughs) Hugo licks his lips, jerking his head first towards me and then Murat. My plan is working. I'm almost to the light switch. Hugo takes another quick look at Murat and I grab the switch and drop to the floor. I know Murat's got his gun out by now like I have, but I also know Hugo's too smart to stay in one spot. I listen. No sound. I've got to figure out a way to trap him. Then I think of the small shaving mirror on the bathroom wall. I'm about two feet from the door. I ease into the bathroom flat on my stomach and get the mirror. Then I prop it up against the inside of the door so it'll reflect from behind the door out into the living room. I get behind the door and stick my gun through the crack. Then I take my cigarette lighter, reach back behind me and light it. He takes a shot at the reflection and I've got his location pegged.
6: You're at I
2: am all right, Mitchell. Okay, I got the right guy, then. Get the lights. Oh,
5: indeed, you did get the right man, Mitchell. Hmm.
2: He's still alive, but I don't think for very long.
5: Your mirror device was most effective.
2: Well, I guess it was pretty fitting, Inspector. That mirror was what tipped us off to the whole deal anyway. It would appear the old superstition about breaking a mirror is true. No, no, you're wrong there, Inspector. This proves that that superstition is all wet. Hmm? (laughs) How do you mean? Well... Breaking a mirror is supposed to bring seven years bad luck, isn't it? Well, yes, I I guess it is. Ah, So it sure isn't true for Hugo, anyway. He should live that long.
1: You have just heard the conclusion of Dangerous Assignment.
4: Now, here is the Wheaties' man, Frank Martin.
1: It's... National Wheaties
6: Week.
4: (laughs) That was my wife. Sure, it's National Wheaties Week. So the Wheaties people ask her if she'd come to the studio tonight and tell the truth about me and Wheaties. Our little boy would have come, but he's only three and a half, and it's about time he was in bed. My wife's name is Maude Lee Martin, and she comes from Kentucky. Maybe you can tell her when you hear her talk.
1: Thank you, honey. Well, I'm surely glad to have a chance to celebrate National Wheaties Week because we're really fond of Wheaties at our house. Our little boy Jeff eats them right out of the box. Your Wheaties announcer, my husband, eats Wheaties too. And I'd like to tell every wife listening, I really do think Wheaties make a great deal of difference in a man's work. I have a real nice feeling when I put Wheaties on the breakfast table because I know I'm giving my family a wonderful lot of real nourishment. If you haven't had Wheaties lately, pick up a package when you're at the store tomorrow and join the Martins at breakfast,
4: won't you? Sure, do that. It's National Wheaties Week. Come on, everybody, to the Wheaties party. Eat a lot of Wheaties, like the champions do. Dance together
3: cheek to cheek. This is National Wheaties Week. Eat a lot of Wheaties, like the champions do. Wheaties, a breakfast a champion champions.
1: Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, is written by Bob Wright, with music composed by Basil Adlam and conducted by Ralph Hollenbeck, and is produced and directed by Bill Carn.
4: Join us again next Wednesday when Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell embarks on another Dangerous Assignment. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen Thursday, that's tomorrow night, to Sarah Berner in Sarah's Private Caper on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. And remember, it's National Wheaties Week.
1: Dangerous Assignment came to you from Hollywood. Three weeks from tonight, the great Gildersleeve returns to NBC.
0: Welcome back. You know, it was stated at the start of the episode that uh, Steve's friend had been an old school detective, and that kind of signaled what type of story we were going to get, as this was for 1950, a bit of a throwback story, uh, with a lot of the uh, clues, such as where the matches lit from. And the idea that the detective had been masquerading as someone and they'd been on the wrong trail all along felt like something you might have read in a 1920s mystery book. So it was a nice little style shift and I I think that it worked quite well. I think that the inspector would have a good question for Steve after uh, Lupak showed up and Steve said... I thought you might be hot on our trail. The inspector probably was thinking, okay, if you thought he was going to be hot on our trail, then why did you have us come back here alone? Of course, things turned out fine for our heroes because Steve used his big play of giving the killer two different targets and hoping that he gets confused enough for Steve to be able to make a move, which worked out. It's a gutsy play. It's... Not 100% guaranteed to work, but if it's the best thing you've got, you know, uh, Steve has the nerve to go for it. I would be curious to see if Steve could somehow recover if that maneuver fell through, but not in a way that was fatal. In this case, even though it did work out, I would personally rather have several members of the surete following us and ready to insert themselves should the murderer show up. But that's just me. Alright, well, listen to our comments and feedback now. And uh, we have an email from Nick who writes, I was just checking out the Matisse exhibition at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. I was in deep contemplation of some work of art or other when I heard the unmistakable sound of the great detective's theme song. It turns out that Matisse designed the sets and costumes for a 1939 ballet called Rouge Noir, Red and Black, which is set to Symphony No. 1 by Dmitri Shostakovich. The exhibition features film footage of the ballet from the 1930s with a contemporary recording of the symphony played on top of it. I wonder if I was the only one to make the connection. Nick adds a PS. I've always thought that your choice for the theme song was excellent. The slow buildup, a crashing piano, decrescendo, and then a frantic, I apologize if I scared so, that to me, mirrors the narrative of a thrilling chase scene. Hard to believe he was only 19 when he wrote it. Thanks so much for the comment, Nick, and uh, apologize if I mangled any words in reading your fine email. I had similar thoughts when I heard the music back in uh, 2009. Those who have been with us a while or have listened to our Volume 1 feed at volume1.greatdetectives.net will know that for the first, uh, you know, maybe 20, 30 episodes, we had another theme that I don't think worked as well for Great Detectives. And I heard that at the end of an episode of Pat Novak for Hire and realized it would be a perfect theme for a uh, detective mystery podcast. And we've mostly had good opinions about it over the years. I did think a few years back about maybe refreshing. I listened to the earliest uh, Paul Temple episodes from the 1930s, and they had a theme by Tychovsky that I kind of toyed with seeing if I could find a public domain recording of. Obviously, I'm not going to copy a music track from something I purchased from the BBC. But I never seriously looked into it. And I think at this point, it's really served us well throughout the run of the series. So I appreciated your note and the information you provided on the amazing Mr. Shostakovich. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Jacqueline. Jacqueline has been one of our Patreon supporters since August of 2018, currently supporting the program at the shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Jacqueline. And that will do it for today. A reminder, if you want to be sure and never miss an episode... Uh, subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast software, whether it's TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or the Amazon Music app at amazon.com slash Detectives. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those things that help the channel grow and more people see our content on YouTube. Next Tuesday, we'll be bringing you Dr. Tim Detective, and then next Wednesday, we'll be back with another episode of Dangerous Assignment. But coming up tomorrow, listen for Philo Vance, where...
5: All
8: right, everybody, stay exactly where you are. Come on, Markham, somebody turn on those lights. Vance! Vance, look what happened. Oh, poor Stuart. I see what happened. You are Miss Williams, aren't you? Yes, I called you. I had reason, too. You can see that now. Yes, I can. This is District Attorney Markham. We'll take over now. Everybody, please stay exactly where you are. Markham, yes, Vance. Stay with me. This might be one of the quickest cases we've ever been on. I hope so.
6: Mr. Vance, the shot came from over there. I, I practically saw the flash of the gun. It, it came from that direction, over there by the window, where
8: Mister and Missus Dillon are standing. Oh well, that simplifies things a bit. Markham, that window is open. Do me a favor. See what you can find out about the ground underneath the window. Perhaps the shot came from outside. I'll be right back, Vance. Now listen, everybody.
6: Please.
8: Murder has been committed. For the time being, at least, I represent the police. I've been told that the shot came from the direction of the window. Do you all agree it yes,
6: did? Yes. Mr. Dillon, oh, yes. stay
8: where you are. I'm coming over to you. Come on. I'm stopping you. My name is Philo Vance. I'm here tonight because I understood there was trouble between you and Worthington. I guess it might be called trouble. I, I, I always regarded it more as a clash of personalities. Oh, here's my wife. Mr. Vance. How do you do? How do you do? Everybody seems to agree that the flash of the gun came from over here by the window, Dylan. Are you carrying a gun? Look for yourself. He's got a gun, Dad. He has to have a gun. Either
1: he or his wife did this. Miss
8: Williams is a rather hysterical girl, isn't she, darling?
0: I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. Check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.